In the previous episode in this series, I suggested a way of looking at the current state of the world that may help to explain the powerlessness many of us feel when we watch the news or read the newspaper. And I promised I would share what I believe to be the way out of that feeling of powerlessness and how that might play out. So today I'd like to tell you a story. You might ask, why a story? I think we learn best from stories. Personally, I've noticed that telling stories and listening to them often helps me understand things, and the story I have for you today is one of those. It's not meant to be literal truth. It's just a metaphor. As background for this story, we're told another story, that about 66 million years ago, a large asteroid struck the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. It created an enormous crater, called the Chicxulub Crater, which is now buried underneath about a kilometer of sediment. Let's travel back in time to that catastrophic impact. Imagine yourself walking the Earth as the biggest, baddest carnivore ever. You are the alpha predator, and everybody else is deathly afraid of you. You have no challengers, and you have no fear. Now, one day nothing can threaten you, but the next day you're doomed. There are, of course, conflicting accounts these days about how and why the dinosaurs disappeared, how long it took, and so on. Maybe the asteroid triggered volcanic eruptions that filled the atmosphere with enough debris to block out the sun. Maybe plants that then supported the food chain couldn't survive. Or maybe you just couldn't regulate your body temperature. After all, you're too big to burrow into the ground, as some small mammals can do. In any case, for you, it's only a matter of time. But eventually, those small mammals will be able to emerge, and in time, they, we, will become the dominant branch of the animal kingdom. So I've often wondered about that story. Was the whole thing a cosmic accident, or was there some purpose being fulfilled back then? Now wait. I studied physics in a university setting long enough to know that scientists view the physical universe as a system, a machine that unfolds according to rules and laws, some of which we've been able to quantify and explain. But the idea that purpose or intention enters into a description of the universe makes physicists very uncomfortable. Regardless, here's the first piece of my story. Once upon a time, Earth used an asteroid to rid herself of a dead-end class of creatures. See, these gigantic creatures were stomping around, having taken dinosaur, terrible lizard, about as far as they could. It was a dead-end line of evolution, and to expand the possibilities of life on Earth any further, something else was required. So maybe the purpose of that asteroid was to bring about a massive discontinuity in the evolution of life on the planet. Now remember, I'm only telling you a story. In retrospect, we can see that what was required to move beyond the age of dinosaurs was evolution. And in looking back, it sure seems as if the dinosaurs had to disappear in order for mammals to flourish. Well, what about us humans? In our current evolutionary stage as Homo sapiens, we seem to be engaged in taking some inflated and self-congratulatory ideas of ourselves to their logical and ultimately self-destructive conclusion. In the opinion of many, we are fouling our nest beyond repair. 
Can we evolve into a species better adapted to living in harmony with Earth and the rest of her creatures? And furthermore, will that evolution require a catastrophe in which we all ultimately perish so that some other species can come forth over millions of years? Here's another way to look at that question. Many scientists chart the progress of evolution from where we came from, say Australopithecus, to where we are now, Homo sapiens, in terms of the size of our brains. Now, we've obviously made great progress as a species, but is that progress a function simply of brain size? If so, that next stage of evolution is obviously going to take quite a while. But what if we really need is not bigger brains or different bodies at all? It may be that the universe does intend for our planet the evolution of a kind of human that is more suitable for living in harmony with Earth. But again, we don't have millions of years to do that, and mostly we tend to feel powerless in the face of all that seems to be wrong with us, all that seems to be wrong with the world. Well, let's talk about those feelings of powerlessness. They seem to increase as daily life becomes much harder for billions of us. There's so much that feels out of our control. And if you believe the scientists, things can get much worse than they already are. Now, for a little contrast, imagine yourself as a member of a new species. The members of this new human species engage in constructive relationships with each other. And overall, the state of the world stays in balance, in equilibrium. This species also lives in balance with Earth and the rest of her species, and it's one that doesn't follow its nest the way we seem to do. Given our history, it's not easy to imagine, but it becomes easier with practice. Now here's the question. Can we evolve into that new species? And perhaps more importantly, can we do so in time? As a species, probably not. But what if this time evolution takes place within each individual? I think many of us are already experiencing this transition, learning to balance mind and heart, reason and intuition. See, I suggest that the powerlessness we feel and our resulting resistance to the possibility of meaningful action constitutes the asteroid of our times. The inertia that results from those feelings will ultimately force us to evolve. We will be forced to move beyond our commitment to the idea that we can't do anything about, say, the climate crisis, either because we don't believe in what's happening to us, or because we don't believe that an individual human being has the kind of power that it seems would be required. I further suggest that the source of our feelings of powerlessness is a sort of collective befuddlement. As I sketched out last time, we live immersed in what I call the egoic field. That field is much like the water a fish swims in. The fish doesn't see the water per se, but rather looks at everything through it. And the things it looks at appear distorted to whatever degree the water is cloudy or colored or just refracts the light that passes through it. The egoic field is the water through which we look at everything we perceive. It consists of a view of life that was adopted by each of us in order to cope with childhood feelings of powerlessness. So it's riddled with false narratives, self-limiting beliefs, and all the reasons why we're not able to live fulfilling lives in harmony with all of our fellow humans. 
but it has one additional characteristic that makes it truly insidious. It has been programmed to ensure its own survival, and it does that by pretending to be individual personal egos that show up as character defects within each of us. This is the ego on a global scale, and if we're honest, I believe we can see it everywhere we look. That means that each of us stomps around on the planet as mostly ego while pretending to be who we really are. But the ego is not real. It's an invention, an outgrowth of our strategies for coping with the powerlessness of childhood. You and I, on the other hand, are real. So what are we to do? Can we reform the ego or retrain it or heal it? See, I think that reforming and retraining and healing are appropriate for something that's real. But the ego isn't real. See, I believe that in the face of the asteroid of our times, we are being given no choice but to evolve. But what does that look like? And how do we do that? And again, do we have time? I promise you, we can each evolve into the next stage of human being, what has sometimes been called homo spiritus. It only takes an instant. Now, how can that be? Well, it only takes an instant because that's who we already are. We're not trapped in bodies with brains that aren't up to the task. We're not trapped in a world where there's not enough to go around, where we have to compete with each other for resources or friends or lovers or status or anything else. We're not trapped in dysfunctional political and economic systems that abuse us. All that's the province of the ego, of the collective story that we tell ourselves. We're living in a nightmare. You can't fix the nightmare. You just have to awaken from it. And because we're living this nightmare, this illusion of being separate, competitive beings, all we need to do is to begin to view dispassionately the egoic field as it jabbers endlessly about what we need to do and who we need to be. Or, if you prefer, rip off the virtual reality goggles you've been wearing all your life and return to reality. Okay, so here's my story. The Earth, our mother, has determined that the time has come for human beings to evolve to the next level. Homo sapiens has become a dead-end species, unable to alter its relationship to the Earth and to all the rest of her species. We're stomping around, having taken our powers of reason and rationality and problem-solving as far as we can within mass consciousness. So Earth is ridding herself of that troublesome species, not en masse with some cosmic cataclysm, but individually with a broad array of physical and psychological pressures, which together have the effect of giving each of us a choice. We can fight one another to be right about our opinions and beliefs as our planet floods and burns, or we can awaken from the illusion that we're powerless. See, it seems to me that in the face of those physical and psychological pressures, we each do have a choice. We can leave the planet and start over, and I believe you can see people doing that everywhere. We could stay around and find ourselves being drawn deeper and deeper into either outright suffering or the guilt of why them and not me, or we can stay and release the ego. Now, releasing the ego does not mean releasing our power or our choices. It just means to release our attachment to how those choices will show up, how they will manifest in our experience. 
See, we can learn to tell a story that awakens us to our true power, the power to express ourselves authentically. It's a story of eternal returning and expanding that disempowers the egoic field and renders it essentially irrelevant. And if we do that, spirit, the source of all, will arrange things so that we will flourish and build vital and healthy communities. And we will honor all those who perish, knowing that they will return to participate in the transformation of our world. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.